Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the edition of, or this week's edition, I should say, of the White Towel Podcast, talking all things Canucks. I'm Paul Chapman. Uh, Ed Willis on the road this week, so I'm joined by Patrick Johnson, who's refreshed, recharged, and ready to take the podcast and the team by the scruff of the neck. What a reversal of fortunes. <laughs> Ed on the road. Um, Patrick, today we're, I wanted to talk a little bit about the team's form, um, look ahead maybe to the offseason coming up. And then I do want to get into this kind of bombshell Ed dropped at the end of last week's podcast about this feeling that he has that Jim Benning has work to do in order right. to come back next year. So I wanted your thoughts on that. I know it's all speculation, but yeah. um, let's start off first something we were sort of laughing about when you first came in the office today. Here we are again with the Vancouver Canucks the last three seasons, um, deep into the rebuild, people expecting this team to... Uh, whether they make progress or not, people tank or not, here they are. Once it's come at varying points over the last three years, but once they're seemingly out of the playoffs, all of a sudden the team right. starts to rack up the results. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going on? I mean, one of the things I remember when I was first kind of learning how to do all this and, and think about more analytically in terms of hockey thoughts was a Cam Sharon, who I used to work with at Canucks Army, used to talk a lot about sort of the idea of sequence. We get so confused by the sequence of things. And if you step back, you know, you want to see what the end results are. And so in a certain level, it is kind of funny the way it always works out with the Canucks that they end up winning these games at the end of the year. I mean, if they won those games earlier in the year and then lost at the end, we would feel, you know, I think in terms of if you're on Team Tank, you'd be like, oh, great. They did their sort of, they gave it up and they're like, okay, we shouldn't win. And it, some of it's just that's how it works out. Sometimes it just happens that the wins come in that order. I think it is a bit of a funny one, though. Yeah, certainly, as you said, like the last couple of years especially, how the fact that this was a team that sort of hit the wall just clearly wasn't good enough. And then somehow in garbage time, we're more motivated or whatever. Uh, I think some of it's just sort of the way the schedule plays out. I mean, you look at this, they're not, they've got a few teams coming up, like they're playing the Flames on the weekend and, and they've got a couple of games against the Sharks still to come. Or, and, you know, but you look at the way the kind of schedule sets itself up. Um, and I, ha I mean, in, in fairness, I haven't looked quite to see what the schedules were, but I don't recall them being like they, they had any shocking wins in the recent, in last few years. It was more that they won it all, which was a surprise. Uh, and I think it's just kind of how this, this kind of schedule shakes itself out. That it's also the reality of the NHL is that there's sort of like five or six, like superstar outstanding teams, teams like Vegas, teams like San Jose, teams like Tampa. And then there's a whole bunch of teams that are kind of in the big wash 
and they've got different motivations uh, in terms of closing out the season. Even if you're a playoff team, you're kind of like, okay, can we just get to the playoffs? And maybe the Canucks are catching a few teams sleeping that way. Uh, they are a bunch of guys that you know innately are playing for jobs. There's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of spots up in the air for next year, and you know both Travis Green and Jim Benning have been open about the fact that our team needs to look different next year. And if you're, you know, I suppose that is a personal motivator. I mean, it's funny to think about the motivation of athletes. Like, do they actually think about that from night to night, from game to game, or do they just show up and play and things happen? I I don't actually know the answer to that. I, I do think it is funny, though, like you said, that the Canucks, you know, have had this pattern of falling away and then sort of having this kind of death rattle and and sort of showing oh yeah we do know how to play hockey but I think it's just I mean I think it's circumstance more than anything it's just like they're playing they are playing the string out everyone's kind of playing the string out even if they're in the playoffs aha I think you've touched on something here Patrick um yeah I've seen I've seen some criticism from some fans who were saying like why is the team winning now this is you're (laughs) out of the playoffs this is the team you want to improve your chances in the draft lottery but it does touch on something that you just mentioned They've brought up a bunch of guys. When you look at their blue line in particular, mm-hmm. you know, guys like Brisbane, guys, uh, you know, we talk about Biega all year. Being yeah. Like when he gets a chance to show himself, Sautner, uh, certainly giving Demko a shot. Like, you're putting guys in a position now where they're getting to play some serious NHL minutes, which means a lot. I think that's going to raise the performance. You've got to be happy that these role players are giving it all they have out on the ice. I think it's also, you know, it's funny. You change up the players, and it does make things difficult for the other team. I mean, they may not be a superstar defenseman. Guillaume Brisebois and Ashton Sautner are mostly, you know, sort of viewed as, you know, long-term sort of 6-7 defensemen. You know, guys guys that can play, but they're not guys that are going to be, you know, defensemen that you build your core around. And uh, nonetheless, teams don't really have a book on them. They don't know how to beat them. I mean, we saw that so much it became such a trend with, Eric, with say, Eric Branson at least in here, the way the Canucks system was running uh, and, and, you know, what his skill set is, which was that, you know, direct line, good skater, but not the greatest guy turning around and you put a puck behind him, he was going to be in trouble. Um, they knew that. Teams were figuring out. They would target uh, their their uh, sort of forecheck and stuff like that based on what they already knew about how the Canucks uh, played, who their personnel were. And so you get these guys and that kind of throws things in for a loop as well in terms of what actual strengths are and weaknesses. And, you know, Ashton Sautner is a great story. He's He probably would have played more of the games this year if he hadn't broken his face before Christmas. And, and you know, he's done well enough in his in his time. He's, he's shown that, you know, he quietly is actually a pretty good defender, even against uh, some top teams. You know, can he sustain that over the course of a season? We'll see. I mean, he's probably going to get a chance to do that next year, I imagine, given how well he's done in this what, 12 games now that he's played in the NHL this year. Um, I, I think it is, yeah. And there is that extra little kind of bit of burst from those guys. Yeah, it's, it's our chance to play. I mean, we, Tim Schaller's story has been so bizarre this year because, let's be honest, he was an interest – people thought was an interesting signing. He'd been a good player for Bruins, like, what, 12 goals last year. You know, it was kind of stunning, both people who look at the numbers and people who just rely on what they see with their eyes – to see how bad he'd been. And now he's got a couple goals. Does that put an extra stride in his step? I don't know. Uh, know. So who has, like, in particular in the blue line, who has, in your opinion, put themselves in the running for some serious consideration for next year? Because we know, Yeah. I want to get to Quinn Hughes in a minute. Right. um, But we know he's coming. Yolevi has 
some uh, obviously some rehab, but you've yeah. got to imagine that there's a spot there for him when he's healthy and ready next season at some point. But is there anyone else here? Like Shen, Sontner? Uh, actually, doesn't that just have to be the blue one? Let's talk about McEwen a little bit. Yeah. Like, which of these guys from you've seen when what you've seen uh, has really maybe put themselves in the running or taken themselves out of the running for serious consideration? I mean, you, just quickly on McEwen, I mean, we saw so little of him. I mean, we know he's been a very productive, very successful story at the AHL level, right? He is exactly the kind of guy that you should be, you know, if you're the, you know someone who's pro Utica comments, you should be puffing your chest out about because he's a guy that was a long shot. He was a huge long shot when he was signed. You know, the, the numbers for a player like that, the, you know, sort of past history of players like him, the number of guys who actually turn out and actually play an NHL game, let alone, I mean, he has, of course, hasn't turned into an NHL regular. I mean, he's played three games. But the, to, the path that he was sort of set to follow is a very rare one. And, and so, you know, his story is so great from that standpoint already. You know, they still have to see if he's an NHLer. I, I think the odds are good, just given the way he skates and sort of the size he has and some of the instincts he has. Um, but he's, yeah, he's a guy that really, you know, you should be seeing more of right now. You'd think that there would be a role potentially for him next year, but at the same time, you know, the, it's, you know, he, right now he would be a fringe forward. I, I would say, like I said, Sautner clearly has has taken a step up. He's a guy that I think is going to get a longer look next year. Um, you know, the Yule Levy question is there. You assume, and he was slated to play games this season. He would have, if he hadn't been hurt. Oh, he'd be here, yeah. Right? So, you know, I mean, you know, by all, I, I didn't see, I, I haven't watched a ton of Utica, but I've watched some Utica. I didn't see a whole lot of them, unfortunately, the first half before he got hurt. Uh, but, you know, those that were watching him saying, yeah, he was getting better. There were still things to improve on defensively, but he, he clearly was progressing uh, from where he had been. You know, so you Levy will be there. So, you know, there's not, a, I mean, as bad as this line, this defense really has been, you know, and we kind of said that coming to the season, there, there are a few bright spots, but overall, you know, in the end, if you're going to be a playoff team, you got to do better. You know, Sautner's going to be in the mix. You know, clearly they they like Brisebois. You know, I'm kind of indifferent about him. He hasn't been awful. Um, he's had some moments, especially early on, where you're kind of like, oh, boy, this guy's in over his head. But, you know, th there's nothing that says this guy has to be in the squad. Shen, you know, I think Luke Shen, you know what he is, right? He's not the most mobile guy. He actually defends pretty well, but and he can make a breakout pass, which is, you know, in comparison to, to Good Branson, which was a struggle for him. Uh, you know, is he a better depth guy than like a Delzato? I I think he's a better Del yeah he's a better depth guy than Delzato because you know Delzato's game was so sort of uh, you know it was it was very it was high it was sort of high risk high reward he wasn't a great defender he loved throwing hits he actually had some underrated offensive skills but he was never used as such but at the end of the day you know if you if you need to dress an NHL lineup he's there but if you're going to dress a winning NHL lineup he's not. So, uh, you know, Shen, Shen's fine as a depth guy, um, but is Shen the direction you really want to go? You've already got, you know, you've already got Alex Edler, who's 33 next year. You've got Chris Tanev, who's going to be 30 and is a, you know, broken, can't, just can't broken, stay healthy broken vessel. So, you know, I mean, maybe there's an argument for keeping Shen from that standpoint, just to have some veteran presence. 
Um, but, you know, the Canucks clearly have made it clear that they're going to go after somebody on the free agency. You know that they're going to, you know, I mean, they should aim high and go for a guy like Eric Carlson. I'm not sure they will now, given what Jim Benning said last week in terms of uh, just the fact that they're not going to chase, you know, I, I think they're, million dollar player, I think, yeah. yeah, that's what he said. I mean, they're, they're realistic. Why would Eric Carlson come here given all the options? Um, but, you know, they the Canucks are in a position to be able to pay somebody, which a guy like Carlson is the kind of player you should add to your team. Uh, a guy like Jay Gardner is a guy that you should be considering. Tyler Myers, who I think they are also really interested in, is not. Myers is is sort of a better version, I would say, of the Good Branson type. You know, a big, big physical guy who can skate. But it's not clear that he's actually sort of as dominant as people might imagine he might be. Um, and, and he's the kind of guy that's going to command a huge offer. And, and you know, we've already seen how well that's gone with the Canucks making huge offers to free agents. You know, the judgment has not been there. No. So, you know, I think that's the other factor to consider. I mean, they could, maybe there's a trade, too, in the offing. I mean, Ben Hutton's had a very good year, but Ben Hutton needs a new contract. And, you know, realistically, as we mentioned, this team didn't do that great defensively. So... Doesn't it make sense to switch things up? If they're going to come back with Edler, to me, that's the other option is, you know, is there a trade market for Ben Hutton? Will they try to maybe make some kind of big move at the at, at the draft, having the draft here? I mean, that's you know that they're going for the optics of that, which isn't, isn't necessarily the best process. But if that motivates you to actually shake things up, I, I kind of have a hard time arguing with it. Um, just quickly before we do, I, I want to ask you about Quinn Hughes, but... Uh, <laughs> I did see that you had put something out there about Good Branson um, having potentially the best 10 games of his career with yeah. Pittsburgh and predictable reaction from some Canuck fans. Is this, does this just highlight again that you, not only like not only is a player have a certain skill set, it's mm-hmm. a fit within a scheme within a team, and that Good Branson wasn't a good one here. Well, I think I think it's more a statement. There's a few. I guess things. is he as bad a player as people here think he is? I think I think he. I mean, he was having, he was ha- he had a, he had a terrible season here. Let's be honest. Uh, the the struggles he had in terms of moving the puck out of his zone were you know everybody would talk about it. We would. Everybody talked about it in the stands. Everybody talked about it in press row, right? You know, he's a you know you you, you meet you, know, you meet these players that you know most of them seem like pretty good guys. Uh, you know, you want you know in the end you sort of so you want I think inherently to see people do well, but at the same time you have to say, listen, he wasn't doing well. That and, might be a surprise to people that people in press row want someone to do well. You know, but like <laughs> no, you know, it could be pretty cynical place. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I think I think uh, you know, and I think well because you want it's more fun to cover a winning team than it is to cover a losing team. I suppose from that standpoint, you know, I mean, it, people may not say that directly, but you know, in the in the big picture, like. You get tired of covering a, a bad team. I mean, that's reality, right? I think most people. I mean, I know there are some people out there who I'm sure are more than happy to do that. But uh, you know, I have seen Samura syndrome up close. Yeah, he covered the Grizzlies. Yeah, right. For four or five. Nobody years. needs like, that. What else do Nobody I say here? That. Like, how Nobody can I write the that. same game card, yeah. game story four years in a row? Nobody yeah. needs that. So you know, but uh, the good Branson to me, you know, he the. The big picture is is that he wasn't great in Florida. He was not very good in Vancouver. He's gone to Pittsburgh. And as I said, yeah, the numbers while he's been on the ice have been astoundingly good. Um, we'll see the next 10 games how they go. Well, because also the playoffs. You know, but the body of work, I mean, the funny thing is, is if you look at the numbers, so yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, the shots are going in the right direction. Uh, the, the Penguins are getting way more shots towards the opposition nets than are coming towards theirs. 
uh, when he's on the ice. Now, some of that is he's been playing a lot with Sidney Crosby. So that's some of the story. Um, they've also done a really good job. I mean, I think there potentially is an argument which would make sense, given, again, they're a playoff team. They've got some high-end talent. Uh, that their defensive system works better in general. Um, at the same time, it's been really funny in terms of the goals. There there haven't been as many goals going in as there should be against, and there haven't been going, as many goals going in at the other end of the ice. What, we're, what we've seen from Good Branson is that he's basically turned, become a sort of a high-risk, high-reward defenseman, and it's not clear that whether that's because we were missing something on him or simply because of the system. I think, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how the next 10 games go and how the playoffs go because, yeah, to answer your question, was he as bad as we thought he was? He was pretty bad here, right? I don't think that discounts the reality that it was a a bad go for him, and even he said that himself. You know, in the end, we'll see how things play out. Um, Is he an NHL defenseman? Well, it looks more more like that. Yeah, he definitely is because when he was in Vancouver, there were serious questions about in terms of the results, in terms of how many goals went in when he was on the ice versus went in at the other end of the ice. You know, the the, the Evans was pretty heavily against him when he was here. Um, So let's now talk about Quinn Hughes. The the horn at the end of Michigan's final game was still echoing around the arena when the Canucks signed him to to come to Vancouver, and that was... Yet another uh, farewell tour to the season. Good. I mean, we had Brock Besser two years right. ago, ended the season on a Golden Glow. Goodbye to the Sedins last year, ends the season on a Golden Glow. This year it was supposed to be Quinn Hughes. Now I know this is this is not like drafting J.J. Daniel on crutches, Patrick. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, a block shot, something that's not supposed to be, uh, take a long time. But, you know, they had a couple of home games and then they go on the road. Okay, fine. What are we expecting for Quinn Hughes now? The well, rest of the, the rest of the way. I mean, I like, didn't what do you ma- want to see? Uh, well, and what do you expect? I, I'd like to see him play. I think. I think for everyone's sanity, <laughs> you know, him being in the lineup will be a good thing. Uh, you know, I did. I did throw some caution into sort of my post game story there on, on my Canucks extra on, on Friday night, which was you know the more you think about it, if you know he has a bone bruise, bone bruises take weeks to heal, uh, not one week, which was sort of the initial prognosis, because you know what the Canucks are trying to be smart and sort of their messaging around this. We'll see. I mean, I think, you know, it'll be it'll have been, you know, today's Tuesday, right? So it's been, what, almost 10 days since he took the shot. You know, maybe maybe we see him play, play by this weekend. I think realistically, in terms of treating your young star player right, in terms of just being smart about how you handle the injury, I don't see him playing realistically until next week. Um, at which point there's, you know, sort of six or seven games left in the season. Uh, you know, that'll give them a bit of time in that remaining homestand. There's obviously two games on the road at the end of the season. I think realistically you're not going to see him. Like I said, you're not going to see him this week. I think that just the, just in terms of smart, uh, you know, if it's best case scenario and that he's out for, say, two weeks after, his, after blocking the shot, you know, I, I think that's just the smartest way to go about it and the most sort of uh, responsible and and I think in the big picture, that's how this team is going to approach it. I think that I know they'd want to get him in the lineup and see what he can do because, you know, he's been a thrilling player at every other level he's played at. He's a guy that has a, a skating ability that's second to none. I talked to Elias P- uh, Pedersen about it last last week and just sort of said, you know, what do you see? And <laughs> Pedersen was funny because he goes, I'm not, I'm not a skating coach, just to be clear. 
So he's you know being saved. Would you define that reply as prickly, Patrick? No, no, he was <laughs> he was prickly when I asked him about whether he was thinking about changing his stick. But that that was fair enough because you know what, not you don't have to like every question. Yeah. But no, he was he was quite you know he was like you know he he's just not, he's like he's an explosive skater. I mean, Pedersen is a top end talent, and he he was a guy that was just saying I cannot wait to watch him skate in person. And that was that's that that's always a neat thing to hear from an athlete because like though you know an athlete who understands his game and understands why what he does work isn't always that common. There's a lot of guys who make it to that level and don't really get really how talented they are. Pedersen knows, like he knows what he's able to do, and that's partly why he's been so successful in his rookie year because he's been learning on the go and he can see how things progress. And so for him to be excited to see a guy who's this incredible skater, to me, got me excited. But how important is it for Hughes to get a taste of the NHL? Like I, I kind of think this, you know, I know, and I know that for the tide seems to have mm-hmm. turned, but people used to say like you're burning a whole year of contract eligibility, right. blah blah. But I, I kind of look at a guy like Hughes who, who will come into next season with all these expectations right. on him. Just the idea that you've actually been on an NHL ice surface yes. with NHL speed, seeing the kind of players you're playing against, and going into the offseason knowing what you have to be prepared for for next season, to me, that's the biggest benefit. Oh, oh totally. And and I think that that is totally the benefit. And it's something Brock Besser, I mean, I've mentioned this before to a few people, but it's something I talked about with Brock Besser at the beginning of this season when I was due to my little kind of like, what is it like for a rookie type story? And I, you know, it was essentially framing Pedersen's rookie season, which of course at that point, you know, we, we had no idea. We had no idea. Um, and and Besser, Besser said two things. He said, he said, first of all, he had that nine-game exposure at the end of, what, 2016-17, um, you know, when he had some success. And he said in that stretch, he discovered how fast the game really is. You know, they all talk about it. They all know it. They all know stepping up. This is going to be as hard as it gets. And he says, you get into it, and, and, and you just have no time. I mean, Adam Gaudet said the same thing. He says, you realize you just have no time. You have to be ready at every moment. Um, and 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 so for guys, you know, that good to say that is notable. The other thing Besser said was that you know it also gave him a chance, I suppose, to first of all realize how fast the game is, and then for him to be able to understand the next season what a grind it is. Because yeah, it's tw- you know twi- at least twice as many games as they've ever, ever played before. Uh, you know, these are guys that are used to playing a couple of games a weekend and then having the rest of the week uh, off. Um, to go to class. To go to class or <laughs> work. To do their assignments. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, well, I mean, if you're Josh Tevez, I, yes, absolutely. Also depends on who your dad is, I guess. If, yeah, well, that's, the, yes. But if you're Josh <laughs> Tevez, you're doing all your work. Uh, what a great story, by the way, the mechanical engineer. But, yeah. uh, no, it, you know, this is also another guy, Alex Biega pointed out to me, was that, you know, that the other thing that he thought that Hughes actually had in his favor, and you could see it physically when he was with Stanley or talking to us, is that the other thing is, because of the way sort of NCAA rules work, first of all, you don't play a lot. You're, they're also like controlled in terms of the number of practices you can have. And what it means, you actually get to do a lot of off-ice work. You get to spend a lot of time in the gym just getting stronger, working out. Um, and, and that is, I think, the biggest thing for Hughes, because, you know, Hughes is going to have, he spent his whole life being the little guy having to take heat you know, I asked him that. I said, you know, when I watched a game recently with him and, and you know, but the Wisconsin guys were all going after him, trying to give him extra shots. Like it was it was very notable that they were he was taking extra abuse. And he said, you just learn to roll with it. And, and that, to me, was the other thing that will play into all of this is that he's going to come up and he's going to see how fast it is. He will adjust quite quickly. 
Uh, and then, yeah, he'll have the whole summer to kind of think, okay, what did I learn physically in those six, seven games? How can I prepare for that? And then next year, learn about the grind of the NHL. Now, that's an interesting point that you bring up, the grind of the NHL. Obviously, uh, Elias Pettersson's been in, on a bit of a, I don't know if slump's the right word, but right. certainly it seemed like both uh, opponents, you never know about injuries, but just the wear of where the team was seemed to have right. worn him down a little bit. Great to see him even on Friday. I had friends who went to the game who just yeah. like, you know, talk about the price of admission. Yeah. You get those moments. That's why people are going. That's why they're buying tickets. Um, hat tip to the Canadian national soccer team. Just announced that Alfonso Davies won't be playing on the weekend. Worst celebrating guy ever. Hey? Yeah, yeah. Heard himself celebrating. Yeah, but rolling. To, people can't see my eyes rolling, but they um, are. but to go to uh, to go to that point about Pedersen. What have you seen from him throughout the stretch, and how do you think we're going to see him finish the season here? You know, it was good to see him get some results. I mean, he. It's funny. The numbers were still like he was still getting lots of chances. There were things happening. I think he had been having some trouble separating himself a little bit, finding that space, and we saw that goal on Friday night. I mean, it, that was not a very good hockey game, but at least people got to see a Pedersen goal, which was a spectacular goal. And in many ways, it was very reminiscent of the first goal he scored against Calgary, but of course with much less drama because he wasn't coming in on the rush. But it was an incredible shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was just a reminder of, of of when Pedersen can find that inch of space, things happen, and people lose their rhythm, and that happens, and... You know, he put on a brave face and he said he wasn't frustrated. I mean, he, he said, yes, I need to shoot more, right? He acknowledged that. But he never he never really bought into the, uh, you know, sort of the idea we were trying to push maybe on him that aren't, aren't you frustrated? You're not scoring. You haven't scored in a dozen games. Are you hurt? Blah, blah, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, maybe he was carrying something minor. You never know. I mean, the players always are, have something going on. You're almost never 100%. But it's never something serious, you know. So who knows what was going on behind the scenes. But he, he clearly has sort of refound his jump and refound his stride and is putting up points again and I think I think that more than anything not that he's a guy that doubts himself uh, but I think more than anything that will be something that will you know I think will give him something to chew on I mean he was always going to come out of the end of the season with something on his mind but it'll be like okay I was able to do this and then in the off season he's just going to be you know he, how driven he's going to be contemplating uh what he can do next year because he's that kind of guy like he just spends so much time you know analyzing what's going on and what can happen next and that kind of thing uh, so you know I think you know in the end we're going to see a guy that's going to play to the finish he he's in it to win it no matter what happens you know it's a great thing to see it's going to be a great thing for the sort of mentality of that team you know, the, the word sort of culture and all that kind of thing gets thrown around a lot. I mean, the, the, to me, the lesson forever of culture, and you know this as a coach, is that in the end, it's about making sure that, one, the players are having fun, but they're also getting results. The results are the biggest culture builder you can get. And if that is because the team is really focused in on what they're doing every night and getting everything done, and not just that they get along with each other, that's what matters and he's definitely the kind of guy that going forward he's a guy that's going to be you know he's he may not be a big talker in the room but he's a guy that's going to he's a presence and he sets the tone and he shows up and and you know there's no sort of taking a foot off the gas like that might happen on another team when you don't have a top end you know talent leading the way 
And I think, to me, that's going to be probably the biggest takeaway from him, not just on the final stretch of the season, but the whole season as a whole and going into next year. So that leads nicely into one of our final topics here, and that, that you know, it is about the culture. And where, where is that culture set right. from? It's set from the general manager. So yeah. um, I'm kind of... I, I, to touch on something you said before when you're talking about Ben Hutton, I kind of think that that's um, the way this offseason is setting up for me is is that the Canucks have long said they're not trading draft picks because they right. know they have the show, right? They know yeah. they have the draft. Yeah. This is the, the family is their, I believe it's going to be a big selling point for them. They want to come out of the draft and free agency by saying to everyone, buy tickets. Yeah. You're not going to want to miss this. We're so, here to compete next yeah. year. I mean, uh, you, you know that's going to, they, they have to be. I mean, yeah. So, jump ahead, but so yeah. April 9th is going to set that table, of course, with where the Canucks end up in the draft lottery. Right. And but I, I do kind of get the sense from this group that they they're gonna swing for the fences. Whether or not they connect or not, I don't know. But I have a feeling that either they're gonna try and get a second first round pick, right? Or if they don't end up with the first one, they're gonna go great guns after moving up. You know, you think back to how Brian Burke pulled that move off to get both Sedins. It's right. pretty spectacular. Um so th- there's no guarantees they can do it, but I, th- I think they're going to try. So when I was talking about this at the very end of the podcast last week with Ed, he says, oh, I don't think we're set on Benning being back. He said, I, I don't think it's it's a slam dunk that that's going to happen. I, and, I, you know, again, I think there's been so much juice off yeah. what Pedersen is and Besser yeah. that it might be harsh on the GM to suggest they need a change. But what's your sense, Patrick? Do you think the GM's job is safe? And I, I, I asked that question tied in with what you were saying before. The culture on this team, that is where it needs to come from. I mean, you see what's happened in Edmonton, mm-hmm. where they had a collection of young mm-hmm. players, but maybe it wasn't tough enough to lose yeah. there. Maybe just, you know, the expectations weren't set well enough, but there's been something wrong with the mix in Edmonton. And I think that when you've had a GM who's been here for a long time and the team keeps losing, I guess it's safe to ask that question. But that's what I ask you. Will he be back? Do you know? I think... I, people keep, have been asking me this question a lot, and I, I and I, I sort of go this way. Nothing would surprise me, right? This is an ownership group that you know obviously hasn't been in the playoffs for four years now, right? We know how important the playoffs are to them. We can see in the stands they're not filling the stands, right? We can see, and this is something I've been wanting to get into, but we can see, you know, just in terms of how money is getting spent on the executive suite you know they did Trevor Linden quit last year they didn't replace him right they were the the CEO quit and they or Trevor was fired you know depending on what your perspective is you know the CEO left last winter they replaced him internally you know you go back a couple years they they had a couple assistant general managers and Jim Benning or uh, not Jim Benning and Lawrence Gilman and and Lauren Henning were fired and they never really replaced them you know there there's been a sort of a winnowing away of of all kinds of stuff and cheaping out would you say like honestly I think yeah I mean they're very budget conscious right I mean they they we don't know but you know putting an NHL hockey team on the ice is an expensive proposition and and you know there's there's lots of reasons to think that they're not spend they're they're not spending as much as they used to so you know it's it's a team that from that standpoint has that in mind and that's why you know they're going to want to make a big splash this summer here's the interesting thing about as i as i call it the realm of sadness as they drift you know if they drift into saying finish 11th 12th overall right missing the playoffs by 5 points 
and and not ending up really I mean they could always win the draft lottery. We've seen draft lotteries that have played out that way. But the the odds are is that you end up picking far down the list. And you know, you're going to find a, a player in that range who's going to be a guy who's going to be an NHL contributor, but it's not going to be the kind of guy who like a Jack Hughes who changes the story further for you. And and I I I think that will play a lot into the overall picture, which is what you said. They're going to want to put on a sh- they they want to put a show on at the draft. They will try to chase. I really do think they'll try to chase a higher draft pick. They've done it before, right? Like that's not it's not like that's out of out of character for it. They ne- haven't necessarily had any success doing it, but yeah, like they they've looked to make splashes at the draft, and and depending on how that plays out, will have a huge influence on how they go after things in free agency. Like I said, they're gonna they're gonna chase. You know they need they need to find some scoring wingers on top of the fact they need to change up uh, the the setup on the back end and and I and I as things stand, you know Benning is clearly ownership's guy right like he's he remains standing because in the end you know his sort of answers to the expectations of ownership have matched that you know it wasn't until Mike Gillis Mike Gillis may have been not getting along with ownership by the end but it wasn't until people started booing him right and call, you know chance of fire Gillis happened that that actually happened and it, like I said I think I've said this elsewhere until there's fire bending chance happening in the stands I mean I know there's there's push on social media of course but until you hear people in the actual streets you know in the stands saying stuff like that I don't think I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, I, I get why Ed might say that because we also know the team is looking at everything. There's a, you know, there's they're 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 adding up the bills, they're adding up the expenditures everywhere in all aspects of their operation. They're looking at CUNY partnership stuff. They're trying to figure out what it is they want to do and what they're spending money on, and if if part of that they determine in the end that that they need to look in a new direction in in the front office, I mean. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think it's going to happen because, like I said, we haven't had any sense really that you know that there's a there's unhappiness from the from Francesco Acquilini towards his general manager. But as we've seen before, things can change in a flash. Well, they can, with and especially with ownerships' um, desire to make money. Uh, and you, you hear these stories about competing factions within right. that family in terms of who has what priority. But I'll give you a live a live assignment to dig into this week. <laughs> You know, I know that we hear that the team hedges and that they buy dollars in advance, but we are, the financial news of the last couple of days suggests we're heading into the lowest Canadian dollar, perhaps of all time coming up, potentially heading into a recession. And if that's a long-term turnaround, we all know that paying American dollars out and taking Canadian dollars in is not a good equation. I don't know if we'll end up with... uh, another equalization fund from the American right. teams and the broadcast revenues, or maybe we're looking at more Canuck lotteries again uh, that we used to have in the days back with uh, oh, BCLC and the scratch and wins. Yeah. yeah, can you imagine that now? But it's a reality when you don't have that playoff revenue and you're not, you know, the Leafs, the Habs, the yep. Flames certainly with their turnaround, they're all fine. The Jets are doing well. Yep. But when you're outside of the playoffs and it's mm-hmm. a struggle for you to sell tickets and you say they're already cutting corners in the executive offices, you know, at some point when you're looking at an extension for Brock Besser, not saying that they would never pay that, yep. but those those if you when you end up having to pay market value there, you have to cut back somewhere else. That's where you know Ed kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I'm thinking, man, this is a huge off season for the Canucks because if you are if you have any inkling that you're going to make a, a change, how can you let the guy that you're not completely sold on? make that yeah. swing for the fences move in either free agency and or the draft this year. It's 
It's a massive call for ownership coming up here. Uh, the, the other thing is you mentioned the sort of economics of it. And Alan Walsh, obviously the vocal agent, I saw that. I saw had that a today. great rant on Twitter this morning about you know where salaries are at. It made a great point, which is that you know people talk about imagine imagine how much Sidney Crosby would make if it, you know they had baseball's economics. And he goes, well, let's yeah, be in honest. The wake of the, in the wake of the Mike Trout contract, right? Let's yeah. be honest. He's like salaries are back where they were before the first lockout, and said. All of a sudden, we, all the salary cap did was just redistribute wealth from players to owners, and we're back kind of where we're at. And it's not like it's, you know, it's sort of re, it reset things, but there's still a lot. I mean, look at this team right here. There are still lots of ludicrous contracts. I so. did find it funny that he mentioned treasonous LA, NHLPA well, execs and, and who went running to ownership. Uh, without naming them, but we all know the local connection here. Do you so. think we? Do you think he'd do a podcast with us on that? We could ask. <laughs> <laughs> He's off skiing. I saw it. He's skiing, and uh, we're talking about Trevor Linden. <laughs> uh, he was off skiing in I think Utah or Colorado. Mutually anyway. agreed uh, ski trip, uh, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Patrick, that's been good. Anything else catch your mind as we wrap this up? I here? think. Yeah. No. It's just. Uh, it's. It's. Well, I've just. I booked my. I'm not complaining. Not. This is not a complaint. I get to travel work. It's amazing. But I, I found it hilarious. I've discovered there are no direct flights from Nashville to St. Louis. It's a four and a half hour like road trip. I'm not driving. I'm taking the plane. Oh, if you had time, that'd be a great drive. I though. probably would have, but I don't know. I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. If if you haven't, you follow Patrick. If you're on Instagram, follow Patrick Patty J on the road. It's been fascinating to uh, to to get his impression. I mean, we we had Botch and Coos yeah. for so yeah. long, and before that, you know, Tony and. You know, been so many guys who just covered it for so long to have yeah. a fresh guy on the beat. It's interesting to get his perspective. I think for the end of the year, I would ask you now, but for the end of the year, we'll maybe do a wrap-up podcast where we talk about your your highlights and lowlights from the season, um, both on and off the ice, because certainly it is. Look, people take it for granted. I know even in this office, there are people who are like, oh, it's such a perk getting to travel. No, it's not. When you have to do a back-to-back yeah. from Winnipeg uh, to Detroit or, you know. There are worse things. No, there, but, there are a lot worse yeah. things, but it's a tough, it's, gr- it's a grind. I know I've done not hockey, but I've done a lot of sports travel and it's not easy. It definitely has more pluses than minuses, but there yeah. are days where it's difficult and I'm just... Yeah. File away a few things. I'm interested to get your impressions yeah, yeah, on your yeah. first year. Yeah, to be clear, so that nobody comes at me. I'm not complaining. Uh, the travel's great. I've, I've I've enjoyed I've enjoyed all of it. But you know this this end of the you're year. not the Moj that when you go on a road trip yeah. to, to Chicago, you're sitting in Mike Ditka's for four this hours doing true. a show. Yeah. This is also true. Yeah, I don't get to do that. Yeah, can we do that? No. Well, <laughs> who knows? You do a podcast from there. You get Ditka and the Moj in there. <laughs> Okay, we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, Patrick, thanks for joining us. We may do one early uh, or later in this week when Ed Willis returns to the office after getting back from Chicago. If uh, he can find his way back from Ditka, yeah. is that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, if, uh, if you like these podcasts, subscribe to them through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Uh, as I said, we do them once or, or twice a week. Uh, Patrick, I'd like to see you and Harrison. Get I'll try to get him Harry back Moon. in. Moon, yeah. get him, him to do one um, with you, <laughs> as we had earlier in the year. Uh, we'll also be doing some Whitetail panel videos later this week as well, so continue to come, download, stream, subscribe, check us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back later. <laughs>